0: You know, for me, I let me start with my gratitude. You know, I'm really lucky that I found what my purpose is really early in life, and I'm also lucky with the fact that I did case comment and I learned this skill set a lot earlier than most of us. So so where am I headed? The the advice for for all of you listening to this is you won't know what your vision is at the beginning. Like when I started master talk, I mean at this point, so I've been coaching this is my 8th year now coaching, but this is my third or fourth year in on a paid basis like as a business so at the beginning, I didn't know what this was going to turn into, but so it evolves over time. So if you don't take the first step, we won't see the overarching vision for where this will be. So here, here's what I'll tell you where I'm at now. My My mission in the world, Rebecca, is I believe the next Oprah Winfrey, the next Elon Musk, is probably a seven-year-old girl who can't afford a communication coach. So my mission in the world is to help every genius who's ever going to live on Earth become an exceptional speaker. That's really what my North Star is.
1: Welcome to The In Factor, conversations with entrepreneurs who started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and my guest on today's episode of The In Factor is Brendan sami Brendan is a public speaking coach, the founder and president of MasterTalk, and is passionate about helping people build confidence through the development of public speaking skills. Leaning into his mission to serve others, Brendan developed a track record that proved critical to his ability to launch MasterTalk as a corporate training company. Listen in to hear how serendipity and an industry expert who later became his mentor and business partner helped him recognize the opportunity to turn his side hustle into a successful business. Brendan, thank you for joining me today on The InFactor. Factor.
0: Of course, Rebecca. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: So I'm excited to have you, um, you know, a public speaking coach. You know, a lot of people would rather die, they say, than speak publicly. So I think you're doing a service for a lot of people uh, with what you do. But I'm, I'm really curious to learn a little bit more about you and your background and how you got to this point. Um, you are the founder of Master Talk where you provide speaking tips and you're a public speaking coach. So how did you get there? and you're very young. So uh, they, you know I'd love to hear more about what that journey's been been like to get you to this success at such a young age.
0: Of course, Rebecca. Happy to talk about the story. So, so for me, it all started in business school. I thought I was going to be an accountant. So, I, so I get to, I get to, I get to business school as a 19 year old kid. Somebody told me in, in in my accounting degree, which is what I graduated in, that I I was supposed to work at one of the big four accounting firms, and I thought Price Waterhouse Coopers was a water bottling company. That's how lost <laughs> I was when I was in business. So that's what I thought I was going to do with my life. I had my whole life set. Okay, I'm going to be a partner at Price, and that was going to be my life. And then I start competing in case competitions. Rebecca, think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. And you might be familiar with them since you you are a, a professor. An sure, yeah. yeah. So you might be, but but the idea is think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. While the guys my age were playing rugby or football, I was doing presentations competitively. And a lot of management consulting firms like McKinsey or Bain or BCG, they use these competitions as a vehicle to see who's really good to give them jobs. So I saw it as my ticket to a better uh, future. So at this point, this has nothing to do with speaking. So I started competing to get a job. And I accidentally developed a talent in teaching other people on how to speak because I was teaching the other students so that they could win competitions. And that's what led to Master Talk. I worked at IBM for many years. I thought I was just gonna be a corporate employee, but the idea for Master Talk came from all of the people I was coaching. And then I realized no one was sharing those tips for free on the internet. So I thought I'd make a difference there.
1: Yeah, that's great. So, so um, tell me a little bit more. So you when you finished your degree, you didn't go to one of the big four, you went elsewhere. So tell us what, what, you know, what happened in the interim there?
0: Of course, Rebecca. So my first year of university, the goal was the big four. I worked at Price Waterhouse Coopers for a summer internship, and then I did another year there in a co-op program. So I thought I was going to be a CPA. But then when I got to case competitions, I learned about a field that I had never known before because my parents were factory workers called management consulting, where you could work in as a consultant and do case competitions for the rest of your life. I was like, you get paid to do this? (laughs) So so I was fortunate I landed a job in IBM's consulting division. So I pivoted career. So at this point, you know, I I got the salary I was looking for. I started paying off my family's debt very rapidly because luckily get paid well. So at this point, I'm not thinking about starting a business. It's just in my last semester of college, right before I started working at the company, somebody gave me the idea for Master Talk. Because I had coached 60 people for free through through the through the through the university. And then I thought, huh, everything that I'm sharing with the students isn't really available free on the internet. And the way that I realized it was when I was 22, this was probably five years ago or so, I started watching YouTube videos from other people who were largely PhDs in the subject, PhDs in communication. And they had great knowledge, but it was too theoretical it wasn't practical enough. So I found a lot of holes and that's when the idea for the, for the channel started. So I still, I worked at as a consultant for two and a half years until I was able to replace my income to pursue this full-time.
1: That's great. So, so tell us a little bit more about the business. So you said you want to provide public speaking skills for free, but you had to find a way to live. So tell me how that works. How do you make money?
0: So you're right. You know, I, always, I always believe, Rebecca, there's two types of entrepreneurs. Because I'm sure you've interviewed a bunch of them. There's the born one and the made one. So the born entrepreneur is a type of person where entrepreneurship is in their DNA. Right? So their parents were entrepreneurs. They are entrepreneurs. One example of that that we know in the culture very well is Gary Vaynerchuk. right? He, His whole life, the CEO of VaynerMedia, he always wanted to be an entrepreneur. He never imagined himself doing anything else. Bart Cuban is another great example of this too. But the born entrepreneur, or rather the made one like me, is somebody who doesn't really want to be an entrepreneur. Because I, if you had told me at 19 that I was going to quit my amazing job to go pursue entrepreneurship, I thought you'd be crazy. Is the person who, because of a series of experiences in their life, they end up changing their mind. So Master Talk never started as a business. I just started making videos every week. I took some money that I was making in my corporate salary and I was professionalizing it. But then nine months into Master Talk, I got really lucky, Rebecca. I met my business partner who's twenty years older than I am, and he's the one who said you could charge clients, thousands of dollars to work with you. And I started laughing at him because I was 23 at the time. I was like, come on, an executive isn't going to pay me money to coach them. And it ended up being the case. So I ended up getting a lot of word of mouth through executives I was helping because I already knew how to deliver, but I didn't know you could get paid to do it. And that's how it turned into a business later.
1: Yeah. So a lot of great stuff in there. So you really started this as a side hustle and not even a hustle, just a side passion, right? Yeah. And, uh, and then through the wisdom of somebody else that could sort of see the possibility that you didn't see necessarily. Uh, you turned it into a business, so so you you make money helping uh, working in the corporate side, uh, helping helping people improve their public speaking skills. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. I have to dig in a little bit. You brought up the idea that you you didn't think about being an entrepreneur growing up. So I work with a lot of students from a lot of different cultural backgrounds, and some families approve of entrepreneurship, and some don't. And I get a lot of students uh, who, after having a career working for somebody else, say, you know, they come and they enroll in our graduate program because they want to do what they're, they really want, but not necessarily what they're they were uh, sort of raised to be or what the, the role models led to. So in your background, you know, what did your parents say when you wanted to quit your, your paying job or your other family members, you know, what, what, did, what did the people close to you say when you wanted to quit a, a good paying job and kind of do this thing that may be kind of risky?
0: Absolutely Rebecca. so so let's go into two trains of thoughts here because you're really touching on an important point, especially in my community in the in the Indian D. C. Sri Lankan community, entrepreneurship is frowned upon in our culture and the reason is because a lot of us in South Asian backgrounds we see education as the way out. So when my parents immigrated from Sri Lanka to Canada, I got the golden ticket of life. I was born in a first world country. So for me, the expectation was definitely to get a degree, get a great job. And there was never any problems in the family because I actually wanted that for myself too. I was like, why should I be a business owner? But at some point in my career, there was a divergence where eventually I changed my mind. So, of course, my my parents were really nervous. I I wouldn't say they were against it, but they were really nervous about me quitting my job. But why did they ultimately support me? Which brings me to the second part, which I feel isn't talked enough about in these types of conversations, which is don't expect your family to buy into you. Because the number one role of your family, at least the one one that loves you, there's always exceptions to the rule, but most family, they want to protect you and make sure that you're safe. That's all your parents care about. So what you need to do as the entrepreneur is you need to figure out a way to convince them as if you're trying to convince a customer that your idea is a good one. So what I did when I went up to my mom, I wasn't just saying, take a chance on me. I said, mom, look at my track record. I told you I'd get this degree. I got this degree. I told you I'd get this job. I got the job. And now I'm telling you that I already made $30,000 doing the side hustle. This is all my bank accounts. This is what I've done. I know I can do it. So at this point, I'd already built the trust with my parents and they just let me do what I wanted to do. But that trust was earned. And I think that's really the missing piece for a lot of us. We expect, we have that expectation in our family. They need to support us. Instead of saying, wait a second, if you want to be an entrepreneur." And you can't convince at least one member in your family that you have a good idea. How are you supposed to get customers to buy into you? How are you supposed to get people to work for you? How are you supposed to get investors to give you capital? So I see as an exercise in persuasion that any entrepreneur should should, should embrace rather than see as a burden to their careers. Yeah,
1: that that's a great point because you know actually when I work with students and and entrepreneurs who are trying to perfect their perfect their pitch. You know, I tell them, you know, imagine you're talking to your grandma, you know, how can you actually convince your grandma or your mom or your dad or somebody that doesn't understand what you do? um, How can you convince them that this can work? Because a lot of entrepreneurs get really down in the weeds when they pitch. And you've probably seen that because I'm assuming with public speaking, you've helped people figure out a pitch before. I mean, that's been a part of what you've done um so you know you really have to get it down to a really basic level and you have to understand uh sales one on one which is understanding who you're selling to right and what matters to them and uh and i love i love that you got that you brought up the issue of proving what you're doing so let's go back to the whole side hustle thing cuz i'm really interested in that more and more i am finding that the guests i have on my podcast are Doing something on the side, or started their business on the side. In fact, I just read that Phil Knight started Nike on the side. It was a side hustle. Nike was a side hustle. Um, so, you know, a lot of big businesses come out of side hustles. Uh, a lot of times, they stay small. What were some of the challenges you had with working full time and and sort of proving this concept so you could take this leap?
0: Yeah, absolutely, Rebecca. And there was a ton of challenges and and that's the tough part about entrepreneurship. I definitely wasn't doing 9 to 5. Right? Of course, when you're when you're getting paid the money I was getting paid at IBM to do a consulting job, they expect a lot more than 9 to 5. So I was working probably 60 to 70 hours a week there. And then on the weekends and nights I would work on MasterTalk. So I think that the most important thing is for me work life balance is in seasons. So there's some seasons where it's tough. You got have to you have to struggle through it. You have to really push. And there's other seasons, like fortunately, the one I'm in now, which is a lot easier. And we have to learn how to navigate those seasons in entrepreneurship. I would say that the biggest challenge I had was really twofold. One was ageism, because a lot of executives wouldn't trust me because I was really young. So there's a, there's a solution I had to come up with. And the second piece, which builds on the age problem, is who to specifically sell to. Because you should never sell somebody who doesn't want to be sold. It doesn't make sense if you're a cupcake business owner to try and sell somebody who likes eating salads all day. It just doesn't work. And of course, at the beginning, you know, people say you got to niche down. But when you're actually in the weeds in, in business, you actually have to try a bunch of different things because you don't know why something works sometimes. So there's two ways on how I tackled these main challenges. And feel free to ask me follow-ups to that, Rebecca. The first one is how do I overcome the age barrier? And my advice always for young people is show, don't tell. Never tell people you're doing something. Always show them the merits of your work. So what I always went up with executives, for me, the pitch was never hire me as a coach. It was always to attend a free training or to watch my videos. So it builds up credibility. And then the other piece, that, especially if I would say for my first 10 clients who are really high level, who didn't trust me at the beginning. Now I don't have that issue, but at the beginning I did. I just offered to coach them for free for like a session or two. And then after one or two sessions, they would send me an invoice and say, okay, I'm I'm ready to pay for this. This makes sense, I'm getting results. So that's the other piece is is don't expect people to buy into the service. Don't don't tell people what you do, show them what you do and use cues so that their buy-in is a lot easier. And then the last piece is just how to hone in on the customer base. Honestly, the only answer that that sticks to me, obviously now I can tell you my niches and what works, but at the beginning, it's really spray and pray. You got to talk to as many different types of people, ask them questions and really understand who wants to buy the service and why and it took me years to figure that out. Yeah,
1: yeah. uh, So many good lessons in there, I think, for anybody that wants to succeed in entrepreneurship and and a lot of it goes back to sales which is interesting to me. I'm listening to you talk. I've worked with a lot of students. I've worked with a lot of accounting students. I don't want to stereotype but they're often not the ones that want to be out front selling. You know, they picked accounting because, um, you know, of what they do as accountants and So, you know, it's really interesting to me that you found your way to public speaking. And so I'd I'd like to, and I love, I love, um, you know, I love your show, Don't Tell. I think that's great advice. And a lot of my listeners are students. And so they're trying to overcome this very issue that you're talking about. So I think that's really great lesson. But let's go back to how you actually built your own public speaking skills. I mean, was this something that came naturally to you or is it something that you had to develop? And then how did you break that down? You know, I'm an educator. And so I know you have to kind of break things down to the basics in order to teach it to somebody else.
0: Absolutely, Rebecca. So there's a couple of parts to that. The first part to your question is I did not grow up with this talent. I think some of it was born. I'm not going to say it None of it was, but I definitely struggled with communication most of my life. And the reason for, was for a couple. Number one, I grew up in Montreal where I'm still based. And for those who don't know, Montreal is a city in Canada where you need to know how to speak the French language, which is a language I did not know. So my whole life I studied in French and I had to present in a language I didn't know. So I'd go up to a crowd of eight-year-olds and go, uh, bonjour. And that was my <laughs> life growing up as a, as a communicator. That's number one. The second challenge I had is I have a physical disability in my left arm. So it's crooked for those of you listening to the audio. And because of that, a lot of anxiety. I give presentations, people look at my arm. They don't look at my face whenever I speak. And the third one, of course, you, you wouldn't expect a communication expert to have a bachelor's degree in, in accounting. And I did graduate in accounting. So, so it's a really odd, odd situation. So yes, I wasn't born as a speaker. How did I learn it? So the way that I learned it, Rebecca, and I think that's why I brought a lot of new ideas to the industry that hadn't existed before. Gary V has this great quote that I always love to share, which is fresh eyes are dangerous eyes. So oftentimes naivete, when you enter a new space, provided it's not dangerous, like medical, you probably don't want to do medical things if you're not a professional. (laughs) But, But in the context of, let's say, communication training, because I didn't have any of the formal background that a lot of the people in the space currently have. I brought a lot of new ideas because the way I built the expertise was purely through practice. So let's say when I did case competitions, I did it to get a job in consulting or in the big four, but I got obsessed with them. I'm like the Michael Jordan nobody cares about, Rebecca. That's the way I describe myself. Well, Michael was like really obsessed about basketball. I was really obsessed about presentations, but nobody cares about presentations. <laughs> but then I was coaching all the other students. And these people were really smart. You know, they were the best 70 students in the business faculty who were going out to these competitions. And I was coaching them on comms. But every time I was teaching them something that wasn't working, they would tell me. And that's what I think the difference between academia and entrepreneurship is. Because in entrepreneurship, if you don't actually get somebody the result, you go to zero because they won't refer you to other people and i think it's that practicality that built my expertise over time.
1: Yeah, that's that's really great and and it really goes back to the principles of building anything. I mean, if you're not listening to your customers and the feedback they're giving you, you're not going to find you're not going to be creating value for them. And at the end of the day, it's all about creating value. If you you know, that's where opportunity lies. So, you had somebody 20 years older than you that said, "Hey, Brendan, this is an opportunity you need to pursue, and you didn't believe it at first. But how did you go about building this company? Did you uh, did did your partner? I mean, did you take on a partner? Did you start this, uh, you know, together? Are you still working together? I mean, how did that work?
0: Absolutely, Vamsi, who's the CEO of Make More Leaders and my personal coach, my business partner, my 50-50 everything. He's he's the main reason I succeeded, Rebecca. You know, I I, I don't like to 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 take credit where it's not due, unfortunately. So yeah, Vamsi <laughs> was was a big big factor. So what he really brought to our partnership was he believed in me long before anyone else did. I met him at a five a.m. workout in Columbus, Ohio, of all places, while I was attending Summit of Greatness, which is an event that a podcaster named Lewis How- House hosts every year. And I wanted to meet the guy. He's my hero. And I ended up meeting C instead, which was hilarious. And he's the one who convinced me to, st- to make this a business. But I would I didn't buy into it, as, as you said. So what did he do? He took a chance on me. He said, look, I'm a leadership coach, Brendan. I got 10 clients. Why don't you just coach these clients and let's just split the revenue? And I said, sure. Uh, how much do you want to charge them? Like $20? And he's like, no, we're going to charge them $3,000 each. I was like, what? <laughs> And then he wrote me a check for like five $6,000 at the beginning. We had like three clients and then the split ended up being like a five $6,000 check. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, what? I got paid thousands of dollars and I got them the result and they're super happy. So I was like, wow, if I did this 20 times or 25 more times this year, I'll make way more money than I'm making in corporate right now. And I'm going to have a lot of fun. So he's the one who really helped me shatter a lot of my limiting beliefs around it. And then after that he he did a bunch of other things. He put me in a bunch of masterminds that I didn't have to pay for too that he was paying for out of pocket. And that's why I owe a lot of my success to him. And and it's worked out for him too in the in the long run for betting on me, but But, yeah, I couldn't have done it without
1: So how did you convince him? I mean, you you, you said you met him at at an event. So you must not have had a lot of time together. Were you presenting or was this just in hallway conversation? I mean, how did that work? I
0: I love your curiosity around this, Rebecca. It's great. So so here's what happened, literally, verbatim. It was a five-minute conversation. That's why I always believe like destiny brought Vamsi into my life. I, he just asked me, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a YouTuber. And then he just started laughing at me. He's like, okay, kid, like, what are you making YouTube videos <laughs> on? Like pranks, uh, like music. And then I looked at him, and I said, public speaking tips. And then he got really intrigued. He was like, what? 23-year-old making YouTube videos on public speaking? I've never heard that one before. Because at this point, I was creating the videos. So I was taking action, but I didn't know it was going to be a business. I was having fun at the company, and I loved my time in in corporate. So I wasn't looking to leave. So he went home because he was always looking for a communication coach for his clients, who are primarily technology profession, professionals with an Indian background. So they have really good technical skills, which end up being my first niche, in my, my first customer niche, but they're not really good at communication. So they always get blocked at VP. It's really hard for them to get promoted beyond that if you can't lead people. So he was always looking for somebody like me, but he couldn't find it in the marketplace. Some, somebody specifically looked like me, somebody who had the same skin color as them, so that the clients would trust them. So what he did was he took an interest in me. So then we had a Zoom call and something told me I needed to be around him. So at the end of the call, I just said, where are you going to next? He's like, oh, I'm going to San Diego for another event. He's like, cool, I'll come. He just went, okay. So then after what happened, we we went back and forth. He offered to coach each other for free. He's like, why don't you coach me for free? I'll coach you for free. I think he was just assessing my skill set. I just said, whatever. And then I started coaching him and he was like, oh, this kid's really good. And then he gave me through an idea my way, Rebecca and he said, hey, why don't you coach my clients as kids? Are you open to that? And I just love coaching people. So I said, sure. I was like, am I doing this for free? He's like, no, we'll charge everyone like $500. And I made like 1000 or $2,000 from that. And once I got the children really great results, like six-year-olds started speaking really, really well, all the parents wanted to join the program. And that's how we built.
1: Absolutely business. brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So do you believe in serendipity?
0: 100%. You know, there's there's a great book called, by Alex Benayan called The Third Door, Rebecca. And there's a great analogy in the book, which is luck is like a bus. All of us get lucky. But many of us don't have the fear. We don't have the money in our pocket to get into the bus. So when we're standing on that bus stop of life, the bus will always keep coming. But if you don't, if you're not prepared for those opportunities, it'll just keep going without you. Whereas in my case, I think the reason why serendipity intentionally worked in my favor is because I was already a great coach. I already helped 70 people for free. I'd already made videos. The only thing that was just missing in my business was sales and marketing, and Vomsi was the perfect puzzle to, to, to wrap it up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And on top of that, you showed up. You showed up at that event. You know, you've know, you got to show up. It's got, you've got to show up at the bus stop. I love that analogy, though. I'm going to have to check that book out. That's really great. I love that. So tell us a little bit more about, um, I guess, some people may be interested in things as simple as how you build a YouTube channel. What did you learn there? Because I think some people are probably trying to do that as a way to brand what they're doing, and they don't really know how. So, do you have any secrets there that you'd share?
0: No, not, I don't think you'll like the secrets I have to share, Rebecca. Which is, <laughs> and it's funny for the young guy to be saying this, but you got to play a ten-year game on YouTube. You know, when I was when I was twenty-two, I implemented a rule that I teach clients called the five-twenty rule, and the five-twenty rule is. If I were to post one really good piece of content on YouTube, long form, really well produced once a week for the next 10 years without missing a single week, I would be successful on YouTube, which, which adds up to 520, 52 weeks in a year times 10 years, hence five the 520 rule. So for me, the perspective has always been, and this is a mistake a lot of people make, not just on YouTube, but in their personal brains in general, is they don't they think about what platform is hot right now versus what do I want my personal brand to look like in a decade? And I think the reason why I was so confident that I was going to succeed, like you mentioned, I was young at the, earlier. I actually see that as a big strength because since nobody... In my age group is starting a communication coaching business in my 30s. I'll be the only communication coach in the world or in a very small group of people who have over a decade of experience and have already coached all those people. And I'll be the guy who gets all the business from all the all the friends I went to in business school with like three years ago. So that's how we need to think, not just in social media, but in business in general as to where we wanted to go in 10 years. So it took me two and a half years to get to 10,000 on YouTube. It was a long journey, but one that paid off in the end.
1: Yeah, so patience, right? And and Absolutely. hard work, actually, showing up every day. day—it uh, You know, that got to be a part of it. So so what are some of the, so you're, we talk about brand building, and I think that's, you know, in today's world, that's what is enabled a lot of people to take those side gigs and turn them into something amazing. I mean, you know, we have this, you know, we have the ability now in a way that we never have before to get what we're doing out there. So what are some of the other recommendations or lessons, let's say, that you've learned about brand building uh, for anybody that's listening to this and trying to do something similar?
0: Absolutely, Rebecca. You know, to to double tap on what you said, you know, I see social media as the great equalizer of ideas, because 20, 30 years ago, it would have been really difficult for me at this age to have the same level of success I do today, because it would have been really hard for me to get the same level of attention. Because before, you had to pay for it. Yep. You, know, you have to get an ad in a newspaper. You have to get a TV commercial. I don't have money for that when you're in your 20s, but unless you're raising capital to build the business. But what's nice today is if you're, the let's say, in the education space, which is where my expertise lies, Like if you're really good at helping people with a recipe, at cooking, if you're really good at coaching people on how to speak, you don't even have to tell people. You can prove it. Right. You could literally upload a video on YouTube of you coaching somebody else. You could upload video explaining all of your information for free. And that actually becomes a great gift because it allows different groups of people who wouldn't have had or would have had a harder road to get to the to get to the to the promised land a much easier opportunity to be successful and i don't take that opportunity for granted by any means that's why i take social media so seriously because it was the gateway that allowed me to make the business profitable but in terms of in terms of advice that i would share especially for people wanting to build what i've built which is an educational brand it's a framework i teach called qit so qit just means questions insights titles so questions just means and i'll, I'll give you the most vivid picture of this. 22-year-old kid in sweatpants. I have this idea called Mastrack for a YouTube channel. So what do I do? I, I have dumplings with my friends because that's all I know to do. And I just go, hey, guys, what? I'm starting this YouTube channel. What questions would you have on speaking? And I just listened for four hours. That's all I did. And then they said, oh, Brennan, why don't you make a video on how to present in a second language? I was like, that's brilliant. I don't know. I don't, no one's ever made a video like that. Then somebody has said, uh, what's three daily public speaking tips that we can implement every day? Ah, oh, there isn't a video like that either oh, how do you break down speakers? Could you take like Brene Brown and break her down? And like, what's three areas of communication that we can learn from? I was like, that's brilliant too. So that's Q. What are the questions that the person is asking us? I as insights, I would book 45 minutes in the middle of my day when I was working my corporate gig. And I would write out the perfect thousand word essay, the perfect as if perfect at that time to that question. And I did that every single day until I had like a hundred scripts for YouTube. And the third piece is titling the video. So if you have a question like how to present in a second language, then the, the title of the video becomes how to present in a second language.
1: Yeah, I love that. And I love, I'm uh, you know, embedded in your answer, I love that idea, which we've already talked about of showing up every day. So, you know, I, I just recently published a book and that's how I got it written. You know, I showed up every day for for a while. It might have been 45 minutes one day, it might have been two or three hours another day. uh, But that's how you get it done. So that and, and it sounds like that's how you built what you needed to build, especially while you were incredibly busy. Um, and doing this as a side hustle. So I like that QIT too. Great, great lessons in that. So let's talk a little bit, um, you know, I don't know how many tips you're willing to share about public speaking, but what do you think makes your, you you already told me a little bit about what what makes your public speaking different, um, you know, and and how you actually listen to what people are struggling with. But what, what, uh, you know, what are some of the biggest mistakes that that we make when we're speaking publicly.
0: Absolutely Rebecca, you are welcome to ask me anything. I'm definitely not trying to hide <laughs> any information. And and the lesson there which and that I'm happy to share is I've always believed information is a commodity. Right? You know, a wise friend once told me that information is free but implementation is the fee. And what that quote means is simply you give the information away to help the person who can't afford you, which is the main intent behind MasterTalk. And then the, the secondary intent, which I kind of learned later in my career, which is funny how I learned it by accident instead of with intent, is wait a second, if you share everything for free, people trust you more than any other vendor. So they'd rather just work with you for the implementation, whether it's a workshop for a B2B client, or whether it's a private coaching session with the client. So yes, happy to share information. So with that said, here's the way that I think about it, Rebecca. Communication is like juggling 18 balls at the same time. One of those balls is body language. One of those balls is facial expressions, storytelling, knowing how to pause. And it could get really confusing really quickly for people. So for me, the question has simply been, what are the three easiest balls to juggle? Because if we just juggle those balls, it's, it'll be easy for us to gain momentum. I'll give you the first ball. And if you'd like me to share the other two, I'm more than happy to. The first one is the random word exercise. Pick a random word like pistachios, like toilet paper, like home, like doorknob, like silver cup, and create random presentations out of thin air. This serves two main purposes. One, it helps you think quickly on your feet because... Life is going to throw a bunch of different situations at you. And if you can talk about avocado, you can talk about anything, especially your subject matter expertise. And the second reason that people can write down if they want is if you can make sense out of nonsense, you can make sense out of anything. So if you can talk about avocado toast, it's really easy to go back to your expertise.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, I'm I'm curious. I have to hear what the other two are.
0: <laughs> I Absolutely. Love it. You know you know, the reason why I don't say all three right away is because I'm also monologue for 15 minutes. That's why I always pause <laughs> in the middle.
1: <laughs> perfect. Perfect.
0: The second ball is the question, drill. Rebecca. We get asked questions all the time in our life. At school, at work, on sales calls as entrepreneurs, on a podcast like this. But many of us, or even in class, right, in your case, since a lot of students are, are listening to this, they'll get questions from the teacher whenever they're, or the professor, whenever they're giving a presentation. And a lot of us are not prepared for the questions that life has in store for us. I'll give you an example with me. I remember when I started guesting on podcasts, I sucked. I remember some guy looked at me and said, hey, Brendan, where does the fear of communication come from? And I looked at him and I said, I don't know, man. New York City? You tell me. (laughs) I don't know. So what did I do to fix this? Every single day, Rebecca. I answered one question for five minutes that I thought somebody would ask me about my expertise, my products, or my services. So day one was, how do you overcome your fear of communication? Day two is, what tips do you have for introverts? Day three was, what is the vision for your company? And I just did that every single day. But if you do that for a year, Rebecca, you'll have answered 365 questions about your industry, your business, your pitch, and you'll be bulletproof. It's just most people aren't willing to do a little bit every day. And then the last one really quick is video messages. Make a list of three people you love the most in your life and just send them a 20-second video message just sharing how much you appreciate having them in your life. I take this a step further where I have a Google calendar that tells me when it's my client's birthday. And during their birthday, I put a stupid birthday hat on that's on my couch. And I go, guess whose birthday it is as I send them a video message. And it always makes their day and it gets me a ton more business for free.
1: (laughs) I like that. I like that. So what I'm hearing is, That if you want to be a public speaker, you got to put in the time to prepare. Is that right?
0: Absolutely. But the but the only thing I'll add is it doesn't take that much time, right? You just fifteen minutes a day is all I ask. You
1: chunk it up. You chunk it out. Right? Just a little bit every day. So that over time, so again, you gotta be patient. We talked about that earlier. It's about building that skill over time and showing up every day. So you brought up something that was kind of next on my mind and that is fear. So, uh, you know, I've been a public speaker for a long time. I can remember the first class I taught. I talked so fast um, and went through the material that should have taken an hour and a half in 10 minutes. Uh, I had never been in a position where people were going to listen to what I said, much less write it down. So I was really nervous. And so I didn't do very well. Over time, I got better through a lot of practice. But one of the things that really turned around my public speaking was to stop thinking so much about me and start thinking about more about what my audience needed to hear. Um, You know, do you have any tips or suggestions for people who do have that fear. I mean, what do you do with that fear? Even say you've prepared and you know, you feel bull- you are bulletproof but you just don't quite feel that, you know, in your gut. Is there something I- that we can do or a way that we can reframe that to to feel more comfortable?
0: Absolutely, Rebecca. And and by the way, you had brought up a great point. And also, congrats on the book, by the way. I forgot to congratulate you. you on <laughs> Thank that. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. And, and what you brought up is really the core essence of the advice, but I'll spin it a little bit differently. For me, the version of your, of your advice, which is great, is every accomplishment that we have in our life, everything we've achieved, and I'll just make a big list of them. It could be applying for a job, applying for college, getting a job interview, getting the job, getting married, having children, moving to a new country, immigrating, starting a business. All of those things do they carry zero fear with them? Do any of those accomplishments that we've done in our life, right? And you're, I can see you're already going, you're already shaking your head. You're going, nope, I don't think so. When I wrote my book, when I started the podcast, when we do something hard that we're proud of, it's always attached to fear. But for some odd reason, Rebecca, we don't bring that logic into communication. We think, oh, I'm scared, so I guess I shouldn't do it. Well, that's an odd conclusion to to draw, given that we don't do that with anything else. So here's the solution. The solution is let's find a motivation greater than our fear that gives us an incentive to even practice. Because the reason we find a job, even if we're scared to interview, is because we the fear of being broke vastly exceeds the the fear of being interviewed. Or another cheeky one, right? Asking somebody on a date. Yeah, we're really scared to ask somebody on a date, but the fear, especially since the students listening to this, but the fear of being alone is far greater. At, le- at some point in our life, it will be than the fear of asking someone a date. So now it's the same thing with communication. That's why for me, the question is how would your life change if you were an exceptional communicator? Spend some time to really reflect on that question because for all of us, the answer is different. Somebody who's listening to this podcast might say, I want to build a big business and communication is really important because I need to grow this to the moon and I need to be a billion dollar CEO. And somebody else might say, I want to be a better mother. I want to be a better father to the children I'm going to have in ten years, and if I'm not a great communicator, I'm not going to set a great example with them on how to f- argue effectively. So find that reason for you, and I'll give you the motivation to do
1: it. Yeah, I like that motivation. That's that's credi- incredibly important. One of my um, one of my colleagues who uh, um, is actually a stutterer. Uh, became an educator, and you know, as a, as someone who stutters, it can be challenging to be a speaker. I'm sure you've worked with, with people that have, that or other types of speaking challenges. And he um, he talks about, you know, and and has written actually a book about how to be a great. Um, educator and teacher. And he talks about the butterflies that we get in our stomach. And he said, those butterflies, those nerves really are there to put us on point. We get very focused. Um, and he said, so the goal is not to get rid of the butterflies, but to get them flying in the same direction or in the in formation. And I think that's really a great way to think about it. Uh, back to your point, just because we're afraid doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. It means we should harness maybe that energy that comes from that fear and put it to the motivation or the why, which is what you talked about. Um, so I love that. I think that's really, really great. So let's talk a little bit more about building your business. What have been some of the challenges that you've had? Um, you know, you're a great public speaker, you figured out your branding, um, you're, you studied accounting. So you know something about the language of business with money um, but somewhere along the line, I'm sure there's been something that has been a challenge, or maybe where you've had a, a failure um, that you, you know taught you a big lesson. Do you have anything that you could share along that line with building your business and and how, how that's worked for you?
0: Absolutely, Rook. I mean, there's so many to count. We could probably do a whole episode on this. But you know, let me start with this. You know, I think what separates successful people and unsuccessful people is the relationship they have with failure. So for example, somebody who is unsuccessful, when they fail a few times, they go, oh, I guess this is not meant for me. I shouldn't be doing this. So the example is you're a sales rep, you get 10 strategy calls, and you close one of them into anything. It could be a coaching package. It could be a service. And you just go, oh, my God, I'm not cut out for this. One person out of 10 said, yes, I suck at this. But the person who is successful will have the same exact scenario. They'll go through 10 calls. They'll get one client, but their mindset is, wow. After 10 calls, I got one client. Wait a second. If I have 10 calls a day, I'll get a new client every single day. So if I'm charging $3 to $5,000 and I get a new client every day, I'll make a million dollars this year. So notice how the the result is the same, but the mindset is completely different. So I I made one of those mistakes cuz I was a lot stu- a lot more stubborn when I started business, which I've learned ever since and you learn it the hard way, you don't learn it the easy way, unfortunately, <laughs> is uh, I had a brilliant idea at the beginning of my journey to email university professors. And you're the exception to the rule, Rebecca, right? So Because that's why it's interesting because rarely uh, uh, an academic professor interviews me. So, so I don't want you to be seen in a bad light. You're amazing. But the, the idea I had initially was if I had sent my YouTube videos to 50,000 professors, if I just cold emailed them, I mean, the reason I started Master at the beginning was college students don't, can't afford a coach like me. So if they all had free videos, wouldn't everybody sing Kumbaya and be happy about it? So I sit down on my computer every single day, Rebecca, 500 emails a day. I work all day at IBM, sit down on my computer, and I send 500 emails manually. I go on every single university's website, pull out all their faculty, and I start sending 500 emails a day. And after a 1,000 or 2,000 emails, I realized that they don't really like to hear from me. They're <laughs> like, you're too young. Who are you? This is a, Once again, this doesn't apply to you because you're very open-minded, or right? You have a podcast. But I mean like the, the norm rather than the exception. So, so I started, so, but the mistake I made, which is my own Rebecca, is I was too stubborn. I actually ended up sending all 50,000 of those emails and wasting the entire summer. Instead of saying, Let me stop after 2000. This is clearly not working. Is there a better use of my time? And of course, this was an introduction, but what happened in the beginning of my career was why don't I just reach out to podcast hosts? Because podcast hosts, A, are selfishly inclined to want to communicate better, to show up better for their audience. Two, they're always open to fresh new ideas because if they get that fresh new idea on their podcast, they'll grow a lot faster than the others who don't bring on those fresh ideas. And three, they'll share the message to everyone else who's listening to it. It's brilliant, but if I had thought about that earlier, I would have saved a lot of time.
1: but you know, I well, I love your story because university professors don't want somebody to come in and replace them either, right? So <laughs> you know you don't want to find it all. you don't want to reach out to people that are feeling that could feel threatened by your skills and your ability to take a, take take away their jobs. So um, no problems throwing jabs at university professors. I'm right there with you. So we can all make fun of ourselves in our career, right? We have to be able to do that, but good, good lessons in that. You know, I think a lot of times we fall in love with our ideas and we're not willing to, to, to pay attention to the feedback that we're either getting from people or potential customers or just from the lack of response to what we're doing. So I think there's a really great, great lesson in that. Um, so I'm really curious about sort of where you're headed. Like what, what is, you know, what is Brendan thinking about now? I mean, you don't seem like the kind of guy that that would just find a You know, find a a path and stay on it, and get comfortable in it. You know, you, you look, you seem like somebody that's always innovating and looking to new things. So, so you know, where are you headed now? What's what's next, and what's in store?
0: Absolutely, Rebecca. And I appreciate the kind words. Thank you. You know, for me, I, let me start with my gratitude. You know, I'm really lucky that I found what my purpose is really early in life. And I'm also lucky with the fact that I did case comment. I learned this skill set a lot earlier than most of us. So, so where am I headed? The, the advice for, for all of you listening to this is you won't know what your vision is at the beginning. Like when I started MasterTalk, I mean, at this point, so I've been coaching, this is my eighth year now coaching, but this is my third or fourth year in on a paid basis, like as a business. So at the beginning, I didn't know what this was going to turn into, but so it evolves over time. So if you don't take the first step, we won't see the overarching vision for where this will be. So here, here's what I'll tell you where I'm at now. My, my mission in the world, Rebecca, is I believe the next Oprah Winfrey, the next Elon Musk is probably a seven-year-old girl who can't afford a communication coach. So my mission in the world is to help every genius who's ever going to live on Earth become an exceptional speaker. That's really what my North Star is. And and the, the opportunity I get that Dale Carnegie didn't was when Dale was alive, for those who don't know, the author of the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, obviously prolific, probably one of the greatest thought leaders in the communication space. But the problem was he was born in the wrong time period of history. We don't know what he sounds like on a podcast. We don't hear about his personality. We actually don't even hear what he sounds like. Whereas me, I get an opportunity to finish what he started. That's why I want to be this generation's Dale Carnegie and really take the knowledge that we've accumulated so far and a lot more to go for me so that we can bring it to billions of people in the world. That's my long game. Yeah, I
1: love it. I love it. Well, I'll tell you, you you know, it's, You mentioned Dale Carnegie and, and the impact that his program has had on so many people. But you know uh, what I love about talking to you is that you're full of energy and enthusiasm. You have a passion for something, but you also show gratitude and appreciation. And I think that's a really powerful mix uh, with whatever you're trying to do. And and uh, you know it's all uh, it's all part of who you are. And, and uh, you know and, that, and our brand, who we are, becomes a big part of who our brand is too. And and we can impact that. We can we can change that. And we can we can. And, uh, really make a difference in the world through that. So I, I love this. This has been a real... Treat for me. I've learned a lot, and I, I feel like I'd like to call you up and get some coaching because I know I could learn even more. So You don't need it, honestly. Well, uh, Brendan, it's it's been delightful. I've really loved it, and and uh, I've really enjoyed hearing it, uh, hearing about your story. And I'm really looking forward to seeing where you go next, and and to sort of following you and and what you're doing. So thank you for joining me today. I always end my podcast by asking my guests if there was one piece of advice. Advice that they would uh, give to my audience, knowing that it's typically students and entrepreneurs who are out there practicing trying to build companies. What would that one piece of advice be?
0: My advice, especially if, if they're on the younger side, is keep your lead. You know, a lot of people they they, especially people older than, than the students, whenever they they look at them, they always say, Oh, you got so much time in the world, be patient. I've never lived with that mentality because the average life expectancy in the world is 72 and I'm turning 27 next month. So my life is already a third over, even if people think I'm like the young buck on the street, which I think is funny now, given how much I've matured in the space now. But for me, the advice is leverage your 20s and 30s so that you gain an astronomical lead in the mission in what you want to do in life life is actually really short in the grand span of the universe so for me it's really about hey listen to as many podcasts like this as possible because you have a huge information advantage that previous generations didn't have like today you could just go on a podcast listen to all of the top billionaires the top food experts the top communication experts soak in all of the knowledge and make decisions a lot more effectively so my advice is always don't lose your lead
1: yeah i love that it's great advice and you're right i mean we live in an amazing time and i mean we could get into the whole ai thing because there's a lot there it's so much going on in so many different areas of technology. But this has been a delight, Brendan. I know you've got things to do and, and I'll let you get back to it, but thank you for joining me today. How can our listeners uh, connect with you, find out more about what you do? Maybe, um, you know, maybe even a listener might want to hire you. How did they go about finding you?
0: Of course, the pleasure is absolutely mine. And Rebecca, thanks so much for having me. So two ways to keep in touch. The first one is the YouTube channel. Just go ahead and type master talk in one word and you'll have access to hundreds of free videos on how to speak. And the second way to keep in touch is to come to one of my free communication workshops. I do a live one every two weeks over Zoom. Everyone's invited. You don't have to be an executive. You could be a student who just wants to learn. And if you want to jump on the next one, just go to Rockstar communicator.com and just register for our next live training.
1: That sounds great. Can I register?
0: Absolutely. (laughs) All right. I don't think you need it once again, but absolutely you can
1: join. (laughs) I can always learn something. I'll see you there.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Brandon. Thanks.
1: If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about entrepreneurship, we would love it if you hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of InFactor.